Just in case, just in case, comes now the undersigned and hear my request with all due respect. From the honorable, his honor, her honor, your honor, do you want to Hello and welcome to the July 17, 2017 edition of Just In Case. This is the podcast of criminal law cases, just in from the Supreme Court of the United States, the Tenth Circuit, and the Kansas Appellate Courts. I'm Paige Nichols, and this podcast is brought to you by Monnet and Spurrier Chartered on the first and third Mondays of every month. Today, I am happy to say I'm joined by Jennifer Roth, longtime Kansas public defender, currently with the Kansas Appellate Defender Office. Jennifer is also the co-chair of the Kansas Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers Legislative Committee. Is that right, Jen? It is. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Today, Jen's going to fill us in on all those new Kansas laws that took effect July 1st. But before we dive into the legislation, I'm going to zip through a few Tenth Circuit cases. As you know, the United States Supreme Court is in recess, and the Kansas appellate courts haven't published any criminal cases this month. But the Tenth Circuit has been hard at work, so let me jump right in and let you know what they've been up to. United States versus Valdez Aguirre is an allocution case. Here, the Tenth Circuit reminds us that it is error for a sentencing judge to announce his or her sentence before giving the defendant a chance to allocute unless the judge expresses a willingness to reconsider the sentence in light of the defendant's statements. But it is not error for a sentencing judge to announce his or her tentative sentence before giving the defendant a chance to allocute. The tricky question comes when the judge says, here is my tentative sentence, but then describes the sentence in language that makes it sound like it's really not that tentative. That's what happened in Mr. Valdez Aguirre's case. But since his lawyer didn't object, the Tenth Circuit affirmed his sentence. Here's really the takeaway, though. The Tenth Circuit points out that the problem when a judge doesn't make it clear that this is just a tentative sentence before inviting allocution is that the defendant might decline allocution thinking that the sentence is already passed, so it would be futile and it might even be considered disrespectful and things might even get worse. So judges and defense lawyers need to make sure that the defendant understands this process and the defendant's right to participate in it. In United States versus Williston, the Tenth Circuit held that a person who is in custody on an unrelated matter and gets subpoenaed to testify before a grand jury has no Fifth Amendment right to full Miranda warnings before that testimony and no Sixth Amendment right to counsel at the grand jury proceeding. And so the Tenth Circuit upholds Mr. Williston's first-degree murder conviction, rejecting also claims of evidentiary error under Rule 404B and the Rule of Completeness. United States v. McNeil is a Fourth Amendment case. Ms. McNeil was interrogated by law enforcement about her son, a felon, who was suspected of possessing firearms. The officers thought Ms. McNeil was covering for her son, and they told her she could be prosecuted for lying to them. She then made statements that were used in a search warrant affidavit that led to a search of her son's trailer that led to his guns that led to her charges for knowingly giving him a gun. She moved to suppress the evidence, arguing that her statements had been coerced by the officer's threat of prosecution. No dice, says the Tenth Circuit. It is not per se coercion to present a suspect with correct information from which the suspect can make a reasoned decision. Threats to take illegitimate action? Now, yes, those might be coercive, 
but the officers here only threatened legitimate action because you can be prosecuted for lying to police officers, which the Tenth Circuit found non-coercive. One last point of interest in McNeil, Ms. McNeil argued that the district court should have instructed the jury that they could acquit if they found that her son only possessed the gun she gave him momentarily. The Tenth Circuit reminds us here that it has never endorsed a momentary possession defense to a charge based on the unlawful possession of contraband. But the court appears perhaps open to the idea under the right facts. What might those facts be? The Tenth Circuit tells us exactly. Quote, if we were to adopt the defense, it would only apply if the defendant, one, momentarily possessed contraband, and two, either lacked knowledge that he possessed contraband or had a legally justifiable reason to possess it temporarily. So now you know what a momentary possession defense might look like. Finally, from the Tenth Circuit, we have United States versus Hammonds. Here, the Tenth Circuit held that Oklahoma drive-by shooting qualifies as a predicate violent felony for ACCA purposes. And that is the news from Denver. So let us tiptoe through those sunflowers and see what's happening at the Kansas legislature. All right, Jennifer Roth, I know that you are far ahead of me on this subject matter. And so I think I will just open it up generally to a discussion about what criminal defense lawyers and judges and prosecutors need to know is new in the Kansas statute books. Okay. Honestly, Paige, this year there were not the number of changes that maybe we've seen in the past. So it makes it a little bit easier to kind of grasp everything that's happened. But one thing I would mention is that what I would say is a majority of the changes that occurred can be found in two different bills. As we know, the legislature often takes parts of other bills and puts them all together in one. And that is where we can find a majority of our changes. And so I'm going to start with Senate Bill 112. Part of that became effective July 1, and part of it actually became effective May 18th because some of the changes in there took effect upon the publication in the registry. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. One of the things that uh, Senate Bill 112 does is changes the severity level of possession of paraphernalia from a Class A misdemeanor to a Class B. As you will recall, last year they changed, the legislature made first and second time possession of marijuana into a Class A. And so it occurred to the legislature that perhaps possession of paraphernalia should not be the same severity level as possession of marijuana. And so they have made all misdemeanor paraphernalia now would be a Class B misdemeanor. Do you happen to know the sentencing range for Class Bs? That carries a maximum of six months in the county jail, and I believe the fine is $1,000. Okay. So that cuts the possible sentence in half from what it was before. The legislature also in Senate Bill 112 creates the crime of aggravated domestic battery. And that is basically if the act being committed is a form of strangulation, cutting off the ability for somebody to breathe. It also changes a little bit the definition of the the sort of party that needs the relationship you need to have with a party to qualify for being charged with domestic battery or aggravated domestic battery. There's a little bit of changes in the way that statute reads as far as the relationship that a defendant would have to have with the party in question. Okay. And I, I gather that it broadened the relationship? Maybe a little bit. It might depend on who you ask. And you might have some people who say that maybe it actually clarifies it 
a little bit, but I would just caution people, you know, with people can um, charge with misdemeanor or felony domestic mm-hmm. battery or this new crime of aggravated domestic battery, okay. which is a severity level seven felony, okay. that they should also pay attention to the definition of the relationship of the parties. Mm-hmm. What is the non-aggravated felony DV level? Do you know? It's an, it's a non-grid. Oh, okay. So oh, this, so is, this is the first on-grid yes. domestic battery. Okay. Well, I'm glad you said that because I hadn't even really put that together. That's right. So this is a severity level seven, but you're right. The other one is a non-grid that carries its own mm. penalty range within the statute. Right. Okay. Another thing that Senate Bill 112 does is require recording, audio and visual, if possible, of certain custodial interrogations. Okay. So the a number of like the Midwest Innocence Project and the National Innocence Project um, and a number of other proponents mm-hmm. got together and they actually um, came to a consensus, came to an agreement with law enforcement and prosecutors that, and so that's how this measure passed this year because it was proposed last year with some different requirements. So essentially now what happens is that Recording is required in cases that involve a homicide or a felony sex offense. Okay. Now, there's a number of exceptions, if you will, like if you don't have recording or it doesn't function and things like that. Mm -hmm. As far as the remedy of what a defendant can seek if the interrogation wasn't recorded is that basically they can cross-examine the officer. So honestly, what exactly <laughs> can't it's, they do that ex- anyway? Exactly. So the, there is no, one yeah. of the things that was proposed last year was that the remedy would be that a defendant could get a jury instruction mm-hmm. saying that it's the law of our state mm-hmm. to record these things that didn't fly. So and obviously not suppression, right? That's what, how it is in some States. Mm-hmm. But here the remedy in the statute is that you get to question or, you know, get to cross-examine the person about it, which, as we both know, you can already do. But that said, this was um, applauded by many, including me, that we are acknowledging that we need to record these things, we need to have a policy on recording these things, and that there are many reasons to do that. So that is, that's the good, that's good news. And does it apply to all law enforcement, city, county, state, KBI, et cetera? I think so, now that you say that. I believe it's pretty comprehensive, but it does involve all homicides and felony sex offenses. Okay, great. Another thing that Senate Bill 112 does is it creates the Law Enforcement Protection Act. And what it does is it creates a new special sentencing rule that comes into play when somebody charged commits an act that occurs while an officer was engaged in the performance of that officer's duty or they commit an act in whole or in part because that person is a law enforcement officer. So an example of the second would be, I figure out where a policeman lives and I go and steal his car because I'm hacked off at something he did to me one time. Then that theft, instead of being a level nine or a level seven, if I get convicted of it, and if the trier of fact makes a finding beyond a reasonable doubt that I committed that theft, because that person was a law enforcement officer, then I could be sentenced as a severity level eight or a six, one level up from whatever it is. Got it. And this does not include offenses where the 
person being a law enforcement officer is an element of the offense. So it doesn't change the severity level or doesn't look at the sentence. It doesn't change the sentence that I'm exposed to if I commit aggravated battery on a law enforcement officer or assault on a law enforcement officer. Those would stay the same. Got it. But there are two ways that comes into play, as I mentioned. And one of those is if the trier fact you know, makes a determination that I did something in part or in whole because the person was a law enforcement officer. But the other time it seems to come into play is while the officer was engaged in the performance of their duty. That doesn't seem like, by the wording of it, that there has to be a particular mental state. Like knowledge that this is a law enforcement officer and knowledge that this officer is in the performance of his or her duties. Right. And as I mentioned, this isn't something that has to be charged. It's not something that's its own statutory thing where we can go read for elaboration on what this is supposed to mean. This is actually a sentencing rule. And I guess I would point out also that if you're, if the thing that the defendant's convicted of is a severity level two through a 10, then it increases at a level. If the crime of conviction is a severity level one, it converts the crime into a life sentence. Now, I, I would just like to point out that even though the legislature may have defined it as a sentencing rule, the Apprendi bells are going off in my head, and it seems to me like the sort of thing that needs to comply with Apprendi all the way down the road from the charge through the jury finding in order for a judge to be able to impose that higher sentence. We'll see how it plays out. Right. And, and this isn't the first time that a special sentencing rule has made Apprendi Bells go off in my head. There's still some in there where I (laughs) I question it. So yes, (laughs) it's something that we should definitely, uh, we definitely need to keep in mind. The other thing I wanted to let you know about Senate Bill 12, uh, two things actually, and these two things I'm going to talk about took effect on May 18th. The first is that something happened last year. I don't know how it happened, but for a short time between July 1 of last year and May 18th, a burglary to a dwelling became a non-person offense. Oh. That was fixed. So now, as of May 18th, burglary to a dwelling, which is a severity level 7, is once again a person felony. So people who were who committed burglaries during that little window of time, those have to be treated as non-person felonies for criminal history purposes and sentencing purposes and so on. Is that right? That is what I think. That sounds right to me, too. Yes. Now, <laughs> Again, we'll see how that plays out. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> the last thing I wanted to mention about Senate Bill 112 is that it amends KSA 223504, which is the statute that deals with correcting illegal sentences. It now defines what an illegal sentence is using language that comes from existing case law. Right. But it goes further to say that a sentence is not an illegal sentence because of a change in the law that occurs after the sentence is pronounced. So that pretty much concludes the changes that I would want to mention to you about Senate Bill 112. The other bill that contains a number of measures is House Bill 2092. As you will recall, remember years ago we had House Bill 2170 that was about graduated sanctions that are used when people are facing probation revocations back in 2013. One thing that 2092 does is it provides that if a defendant got a dispositional departure at their sentencing, then there is no requirement that graduated sanctions be used on that offender 
you can just send them straight to prison upon their first probation revocation. Oh, so if you they don't were have presumptive prison initially. No, no, nope. no. If they got a dispositional departure. So I reread this just this morning to make sure I was right. And it only says if you got a dispositional departure pursuant to, and then gives the departure statute. So it would not cover people who were border boxes, okay. who would have been presumptive prison. Oh, and right. it would not cover people under special rules, because those are explicitly always stated to not be departures. Okay. So if I'm understanding it correctly, the only folks that would get bypassed would be people who got a dispositional departure at their original sentencing. Okay. They would not, the court would not have to use graduated sanctions on them. They could just send them to straight to prison upon a probation revocation. Okay. Also in 2092 is a change to the way that juvenile adjudications would be counted in criminal history. Last year, the legislature added on to the number of juvenile adjudications that will decay if an, if an offender commits their current crime at age 25 or older. Okay. Now it covers crimes that are level 5 through 10, all the drug okay. offenses, non, non-grid offenses. Mm-hmm. Those all fall away if you're 25 or older. Okay. Right. So what the legislature did this year is to complement the the change they made last year. And this is what we call a gap policy. So if an offender is under 25 and then if they have stayed out of trouble and not had a new offense in five years between that adjudication and their current crime of conviction, then it can decay. Okay. Or decay is not the right word. It just won't count in their criminal history score if it meets those same requirements as far as the severity level and that sort of thing. Okay. So now we have last year expanded the group of offenses that could decay, Mm -hmm. and now we have this gap policy to complement that as well so that it can apply to people who are not yet 25. Got it. So those are the two big bills. But there are a couple other smaller things that I would just mention. First of all, Senate Bill 42, it provides some updates and a few changes to the revised juvenile justice code that passed last year. Okay. So they went back, they took some concerns that people had expressed, worked out some things, and so they have made some updates, even though there are some provisions that hadn't even taken effect yet, they've made some updates to the new juvenile justice code. And is all of that code now in effect as of July 1st, or are there still no, some No, there's delays? still some delays. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you exactly which things are, okay. but there are still a few. One other bill I should mention is House Substitute for Senate Bill 40. It amends some of the laws that deal with human trafficking. It creates some additional offenses around human trafficking crimes, changes the severity level of some other things. I assume those severity levels are going up. Yes. Right. When I read this, I thought to myself, anybody that prosecutes or defends or otherwise, you know, is involved in cases that involve a sex offense Mm -hmm. should look at this. Right. Because it does change, you know, kind of splits out certain offenses. I just think that if anybody that's dealing with a sex crime case needs to definitely take a look at Senate Bill 40. Okay. To see what things might have been changed and and how crimes have been carved out and things like that. Okay, and be very careful about what are the dates of the offense. Yes. What law was in place at what time. Yes. And so forth. Okay. And by the way, 
like I mentioned, sometimes it takes a little effort to dig out the history and sort of the path that some of these bills took Mm -hmm. because they started out in other numbers. I wish I could tell you there's an easy way for you to find that original number, but there really isn't. A lot of times you have to subscribe to certain services or be there Mm -hmm. in the room or Mm -hmm. things like that. Or just um, call somebody at the Legislative Research Office. Exactly. And ask for their help. I, I still call their legislative hotline, which you can get at kslegislature.org. On the legislature's website, you can find links to all these bills. You can find the number to the hotline people. There's lots of information there. You can find the testimony. That stuff's all online now. So it's very helpful in that way. If you want, I would like to talk about a few things that didn't pass. Sure. So there was a number of bills that had hearings that did not advance. So I just mentioned these things in case people wondered if they did, or also just to keep in mind, because these are all bills that could come back next year. Okay. So there was a a bill that was brought by the Kansas Sentencing Commission that would increase the threshold of certain property crimes from $1,000 to $1,500, and that did not advance. There were also some sentencing commission bills that would have expanded the use of Senate Bill 123 drug treatment money. Mm -hmm. That term, Senate Bill 123, is now 13 years old. But what that means, of course, is mandatory drug treatment when you get convicted of certain drug possession offenses. They were asking for Senate Bill 123 treatment monies to be able to be used for people on diversion or people who get convicted of low-level distribution offenses. Because as we all know, people who deal mm-hmm. often deal so that they can get product because they're right. users. So those did not advance this year. Another thing that did not advance at this point are any changes to the civil forfeiture laws. Okay, Those bills were all referred to judicial counsel. So there's going to be a committee that's going to work through all those bills and should come back with a report next year. So I would expect there'd maybe be some new bills introduced around that next year. And is this, uh, are are these proposals to broaden forfeiture or to reform forfeiture to make it more protective? Most of them were to reform forfeiture, but then there were also some that would, for example, on the complete other end of the spectrum, get away with whatever reporting requirements exist now. Ah. So it was sort of a range. There was also House Bill 2115, which would have, as we like to say, banned the box. Uh, So what it would have done is if people were applying for a job with the state of Kansas for public employment, you wouldn't have been able to ask them right off the, you know, right off the bat whether they'd been convicted of a felony. There was also a big bill, 2086, which would have removed drug offenders from the Kansas Offender Registration Act. It would have kept on there people convicted of manufacturing or possessing precursors to manufacture, Mm -hmm. but it would have taken off thousands of people who have been convicted of possessing with intent to sell or actual distribution, regardless of the amount. That did not advance. As you also know, the bill that would have abolished the death penalty did not advance. The bill that dealt with compensation for exonerees it didn't advance. There was also a bill that would have allowed hearsay at preliminary hearing. This is the second time for that one, at least in my history of doing this. That did not advance. Um, there were a number of other things, but I would just throw those out there because those are all things that could come back. Mm-hmm. Just things to kind of keep in mind. Do you have a feeling that some of these just uh, stalled because the legislature was focused on other things like the budget this year? Um, I think that's true. Uh, and some of them did have a number of concerns around them, which, I, you know, so there there are matters that are good policy ideas, in my mm-hmm. opinion, mm-hmm. but that 
everybody needs to kind of come to the table, as they say, you know, and kind of work out what are some of the concerns or that sort of thing. Sure, sure. So if any of our listeners are interested in getting involved in working on any of these bills or offering testimony next year, should they call you? They sure could. They could contact me at jroth, so J-R-O-T-H, legislative, at gmail.com. So people can email me. Or what I would just mention is that anybody could get involved with any of these things or any other legislative matter that's not even criminal law in nature. The le- As I mentioned, the legislature's website has links to testimony. They have a new tab on their webpage where they give a list of he- bills that are set for hearing in a particular week. And so you don't have to be anybody fancy. You don't have to have an organization to be able to submit written testimony or even appear in person on legislative matters that are of interest and concern to you. Okay, that's great to hear. All right, well, let's wrap this thing up. Do you think we're finished? I think so. <laughs> I think okay. we've I think we've hit the highlights. Okay, well, thank you very much, Jennifer Roth. Thank you for having me. For joining us, and thanks to you listeners for listening. Have you got something you want to say? Email me at justincasepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Paige Nichols, and I'll be back again before you know it. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, wherefore, whereby, we're ready to wear. Rest you to cutter, give me pizza cutter, just in case.